All right. Hey, thank you, team, for leading us in worship this morning and just for preparation for, for hearing from God. Um, <clears throat> so, first off, you get an award for being here, you know, on Spring Forward Sunday, right? And Spring Break Week. Uh, so, congratulations. I don't know what, what you're going to get, but you get an award of some sort. Um, God, God sees you, right? Uh, it's good to be here, and uh, I, uh, I have a full heart, so that's always a little dangerous when I come to preach with a full heart, because I'm like, oh man, I got so much I want to say, but I'm trusting the Lord will, will uh, help me condense that down, um, and there's a, there's a number of reasons why. Uh, first off, I haven't preached in four weeks, so I always feel like I've got like this growing, oh, I'm ready to go. Um, there's also the sense that I just spent the last week or so with uh, some from believers from all over the world. Uh, and so spent a few days in Gainesville, Florida. Anybody ever been to Gainesville? Home of the Florida Gators. Um, I did see one gator, by the way, in the wild. And then I saw about 100 at a putt-putt golf place. Um, but I, we were there in Gainesville, and we were working with, uh, interacting with some church leaders from different parts of the world, and uh, most of them from the United States, uh, as we're just kind of hearing how God is moving and working, and, and people are coming to faith, and disciples are being made, and just to be, be a, an encouragement again to you, anytime I get in those set, settings, I'm just reminded that Jesus is building his church, and, uh, and so, you know, we can get really distracted and, and maybe even discouraged by when you look around and say, like, man, is anything good happening? Is everything just going to hell in a handbasket? I mean, it can kind of feel like things are just really dark, and listen, like, God is working, he's moving, um, and he is, he is doing his thing, uh, which is bringing life, and, and so just be encouraged this morning, and I may share some stories along the way, probably not today because of timing, but um, one of the things that really uh, stood out to me, well, I transitioned from, uh, from a conference with sort of a smaller group of people thinking about how God's working in the micro and the small um, to a conference where we were with, it's the largest church planting conference in the world, so about 1,500 uh, sorry, 5,500 uh, church leaders packed into a massive auditorium there in Orlando. And, uh, you know, just the sense that there is a, there's a stirring from God's spirit uh, among his people. And we've sensed that here. And what was beautiful is to get to see that is happening other places, again, within our country and, and around the world. And so um, just once again want to say, like, be encouraged. Like, God is at work. And um, I'm excited about what that means, not only for us here in our little pocket of the planet, but wherever uh, God's people are gathering today, all over the globe, uh, God's spirit is moving, he is working, and he is bringing people to life in Christ. So, if you are new here, welcome, we're glad you're here. If this is your first time to join us, um, you know, you probably notice our team's on the floor. We have a stage up here, but we all sit down here. Um, that's intentional, it's not because we're just trying to be, you know, silly or something. We actually did that on purpose. Um, we do multiple things on purpose just to be really simple, uh, but one of them is just to remind ourselves we don't need to be on a platform or a stage. Jesus is the one who's center stage. He's the one we're worshiping. He's the one that we want to honor and bless. I'm not saying you can't do that from a stage, but it's been an intentional season for us just to pull it down and say, uh, Jesus, we want people's eyes to be lifted to you um, more than anything else. And so we also, if you are new here, notice that there's kids in the room. That's intentional. Uh, it's not just because we can't get ourselves organized enough to have stuff for, for kids. It's actually because we believe uh, in a multi-generational church uh, move of God. We, we believe that these kids are incredibly valuable to the kingdom, 
and we want them to be a part of our worship. And so that means sometimes they have to listen to sermons that they don't get, <laughs> and it's long, and they're like, oh, I'm so tired and bored. Um, but listen, we believe God's working even in that, um, and we believe that kids have a role to play. They're not just the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today, and, uh, and we really do believe in what God's doing in their lives. And we hope parents, if your kids are sitting with you, that these will be moments where you can hear the same thing, sing the same songs, and go home and talk about that together. Um, and interact with them about what they're hearing, what they're seeing, what you're hearing, what you're seeing. And so, anyway, so many more things I could talk about, but I want to get to the text because this is a powerful, powerful passage. And it's another reason why my heart's so full is because I think verse 16 might be the most, if not one of, for sure, one of the most important verses in the entire book of Galatians. And for those of you that have been with us on this journey going through Galatians, we're only about four weeks in. Um, Tim taught a couple of, of weeks, did a great job reminding us again of, of the gospel truths and how the gospel truths affect gospel conduct, gospel living, and uh, I think this was really fruitful in terms of just helping us apply the gospel uh, to everyday situations and circumstances to apply to our hearts. And so one of the things I would say in that is we want to continue to encourage you not to just come and listen to sermons or to attend a Sunday gathering. You're welcome to do that, but you're never going to get the fullness of what it means to be the church um, just by listening to sermons and singing some songs. It's being in community with other believers. It's applying the gospel with the, with the help of one another, uh, even exposing, uh, though it can be painful, but exposing where we need to apply the gospel, where we need to be reminded um, who God is and what he's done and how that affects who we are and what we should now do in light of that. So, that being said, um, we do want to let you know that even after we gather today, as you leave, there will be some guys back at this, this table back here. We call it Connection Point, but just a simple space that we've created where if you want to get involved in a, in a small group of people, there are groups that meet in our area, and we'd love for you to get connected to one of those so that you can continue to grow in your faith and apply what we're, what we're talking about on Sundays, as well as just what the Scripture is speaking to us in other places. So let me, let me begin uh, by asking the question, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? Um, and I don't just mean, I'm asking this like just rhetorically. I'd love to hear really quickly, what would you say a Christian is? Gabe? Yeah, yeah, church in Antioch, a uh, little, meant little Christ, and it was, it was intended to be a, a slander on them, right? They were slamming them for, for being these little Christs which, I mean, I was like, I, I want to be known as a little Christ, <laughs> right? And so, but, but they, they really did want to criticize them for following this, this guy who was cr crucified on the cross. Yes. A follower, a follower of Christ. Thank you, Cray. Yeah, a follower of Christ. Anybody else? What's a Christian? A believer in Christ? Yeah, yeah. That's good. That's really good. We're going to work our way to a simple definition today, but I know that the word Christian has been hijacked by many. It's been utilized by many to promote uh, different agendas, uh, diff different even political positions. It's, it's been used to, to promote different ideology and even to promote a religion. And I would actually argue that it's important that we understand that Christianity is not just another religion. Um, that it's actually something more than that. In fact, it's, it's actually opposite of what religion is. Yes? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's a, there's a repentance part of this where we go from living for ourselves or living in the fleshly way, turning towards the, the way of the Spirit, the way of God. God actually gives the Spirit to help us live that new way. And so, that's, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, what's, what's amazing about a Christian is, and I think anyone who's experienced coming to faith, and there may be some of you that have never had that moment where you've given your life to Christ or put your trust and your faith in Christ, and therefore, um, maybe this doesn't resonate with you, but if you have had that moment where you put your faith in your, your belief in Jesus um, to be your Savior, to be the one who has rescued you from your sin and those things, uh, you know that you aren't now who you were before that moment, right? Scripture even says in 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. And so one of the reasons we worship God, we sing God to, to God, we come on a weekly basis and gather in this space, we get into community life, we do what we do is because God not only created us, like we've got some babies around here and they're beautiful and they're amazing and they have value because they're creating the image of God, a little eight-week-old over here, um, just beautiful little girl just over here, I hear some, some noise, I love it. We love the life in this room, we love, hey, yes, right on cue, buddy. Um, we, love, we love the life in this room because God created humanity in his image, and so there's value there. But also, as Christ followers, we've been recreated. Um, because when we were born, I don't know if you realize this, I'm sure you do, as beautiful and as amazing as babies are, they're, they're born sinners. <laughs> and so you don't have to teach them to say no and mine and be mean, right? Um, that's just part of their nature, their human nature. As the scripture tells us, they're born into the same sin nature that Adam you know, uh, ultimately, as he, he and Eve made that choice in the garden, from that point forward, you know, humanity's born there. And so we need to be recreated. We need to be made new. We need to be restored. We need to be rescued. We need to be redeemed. All those R words, right, that are really big. And so in that, um, when we come to this passage, remember the context in which this pa- passage was written, because it was a couple weeks now, so maybe your memory needs to be refreshed, in that Tim said, uh, Paul was basically giving some insight into not only the gospel he preached, but the reason why he was a trustworthy apostle. Um, and he was addressing the fact that Peter, anybody know who P- Peter is? In fact, in the text it says Peter, sometimes it says Cephas, but it's the same guy, Peter, um, that he had pulled back from eating with Gentiles. He first started that, so he knew that was the right way, but then he pulled back, and he was doing it not just because it was a, uh, a reputation issue or a behavioral thing um, that he had kind of fallen back into, but Paul's actually saying it's because he's now not living in line with the gospel. He uses that exact language in verse 14. You're not living in line with the gospel. You're not, you're not living out what the gospel proclaims is true, declares is true about you. And, and so just a word here. This is a good reminder. We know that this, Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. And by this point, he'd been doing ministry for a little while. Right? Everybody still with me? So one of Jesus' 12 disciples, been doing ministry for a while, had confessed Jesus as Lord when, God, when Jesus said, who, who am I? And they said, or who do people say that I am? And Peter steps up and says, you're the Christ. This is the same Peter that got out of the boat and walked on water. Anybody else done that? Right? This is the same Peter that he did deny Jesus three times, but then was restored to Jesus three times, right? He was told to feed the sheep. This same Peter, he's struggling to live out the gospel. 
What does that tell us? <laughs> that tells us, and I, I would argue that Paul and Peter might be the two best Christians to ever walk planet Earth. And that Peter, even as a mature, 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 mature missionary believer, still struggled to believe the gospel in full. So I think we probably should take heed to that, right? We should be aware that we can also creep, we can drift, and we're going to talk about how we drift today in just a minute. So the gospel tells us uh, that, it tells us what a Christian is. It tells us uh, what, what a cr- Christian, uh, ultimately, how, how people become a Christian. The scripture tells us that. And, you know, if you really want to boil it down, um, a person uh, who's a Christian is someone who's been justified by God through faith. Now, that, that's, a, that's a, you know, we've got some words in there. Uh, that we don't really uh, use in our everyday life, vernacular probably, like justified is not one that we tend to use, although we might say we justify ourselves when we're doing something or we, we feel justified to do something. Um, that might be a way we use it. What's interesting is that it, it, we, we do need to understand what that word justified means because it, affe- it appears four times in verses 16 and 17. In fact, verse 16, if you read it, three different phrases. He's just hammering home this issue of justification. Let me read it to you again just so we can have it fresh. Know that no one is, every time I say justified, you guys read with me. Just make sure you're awake. All right, kids, can you do that? Ready. Know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no human human being will be okay all right now I heard when I was uh, a kid and and by the way this word justify it's a mega Christian word okay it's a mega Christian word right it it has got so much loaded into it and you'll find it all in the New Testament and the word righteousness righteous goes right hand in hand actually the words translated from the same base root um and, and I remember as a kid hearing, hey, to be justified means to be treated as just as if you never sinned. I thought that was really helpful, right? I want to dig into that just a little bit further, but um, Martin Luther, who was one of the great reformers, I know probably most of y'all haven't studied the Great Reformation, but some of you may have. Um, hey, hey, there we go. I can see the kid's hand fly up. Um, you don't know? <laughs> Mom's like, I don't know if he's going to stay. Um, the Great Reformation uh, of the church where... Uh, the Catholic Church, you know, become, we see the Protestants break off, right? And we see the, pro- the protesters to, to those who were uh, adding to the gospel. And Martin Luther was one of the great reformers, right? He and John Calvin, two of the most famous ones there. Um, but, but Martin Luther, he literally loved the book of Galatians so much that he said that it was like he was in love with it like his wife. I'm, I'm not going there, okay? That's just, that's just not how I feel about the book of Galatians. But I love the book of Galatians. He, he called, I think his wife's name was Catherine, and he called it like his Catherine. Um, but here's the thing about Martin Luther. He loved the book of Galatians so much, and it was the centerpiece of the Great Reformation because it really preached what it meant to be Christian, and it, and it clarified this issue of being justified by faith in Christ. And this was really the key linchpin to the whole thing. And so in that, uh, this is what Luther even said. He says, and this is the truth of the gospel. And he's talking about justification. It is also the principal article of all Christian doctrine, wherein the knowledge of all godliness consisteth. Most necessary it is, therefore, it sounds kind of like, um, well, we'll come back to that. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know this article well, 
teach it to others, and catch this, and beat it into their heads continually. That's how strongly he felt about this, right? To beat it into their heads continually. Um, he, he knew that how significant this issue of learning justification by faith, uh, how important it was, how critical it was. So what is justification? Well, let me give you a longer, I've given you kind of a brief short one, but, but like, let me give you a longer one. This is actually from J.I. Packer. Some of you guys know that I'm a huge J.I. Packer fan because of his book, Knowing God, in particular, that has radically changed my life. But here's what he says. Justification, you, get, you know, you have to put your thinking cap on here, okay? Justification is a judicial act of God pardoning sinners, wicked and ungodly persons, just in case we didn't know who sinners were, okay? Accepting them as just, and so putting permanently right their previously estranged relationship with himself. This justifying sentence is God's gift of righteousness, his bestowal of a status of acceptance for Jesus' sake. Everybody still with me? <laughs> so there you go. You get into the theological world. This is, this is it's still accessible, but it's, it's a little more heady. It's a little more intellectual oriented there. But you see these pieces of how God is pardoning sinners and how he accepts them. And he, he permanently, I love this, he's putting permanently uh, right their previously estranged relationship with himself, restoring relationship. Because the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, there was a relationship with God that was broken, right? And as I said earlier, when, when people are born into the world, they are born to that human condition that is broken and therefore cut off from God relationally. And we need to be, to be reconciled. It's one of the primary ways we talk about being saved and what, what it means to be a Christian is to be reconciled to God. So he speaks to those things. But notice he says it's a bestowal of a status of acceptance for Jesus' sake. So the word justification even has been used in the courtroom to be someone who's acquitted, someone who is he was basically given this status of being forgiven, right? Off, let off the hook. Now, consider this. Um, justification because it's bestowed on someone, it changes the perspective of the behavior, but it does not change the behavior. It sh- Let me say this again. Justification changes the perspective of the behavior, but not the behavior. Now, this is, helps me kind of think about it, because I heard a story about a high schooler who was in his school hallway not long ago, and in the hallway, um, a teacher and a principal were nearby, and he reared back and punched a kid and knocked him out. And the kid hit the floor, landed out on the floor. And immediately, the teacher who was nearby and the principal ran over to the kid and said, you are in trouble, head to the office now. You're going to be expelled, you know, obviously what, like what you would expect. And the kid said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Look in the kid's pocket. And so they went over and they looked into the kid's pocket who's now laying out cold on the floor. And in his pocket, there was a gun. And his hand was on the gun. And the kid said, he was going to shoot somebody, and I knocked him out. So in that moment, he justified himself because he knew that there was a reason why he knocked the kid out, right? Now, in that moment, did the kid's behavior change? But did the perspective of the behavior change? Yes, okay? Yes, it did change because now we understood the why behind the what, and we understood what was going on there. And that's what justification is about, is this shifting of not the behavior itself, but the perspective of the behavior. Now, this is important because when we come to the gospel, we understand that the way that God sees us is we don't stop being sinners, 
But now we are forgiven sinners. We are now rescued sinners. We are now, catch this, righteous sinners. In my words, I would simply say it this way. We are loved failures. We are loved failures. That we are honored. We are viewed as completely holy before a righteous and and just God. Not because of our behavior, but because of his declaration. Because of what Christ did in his perfection that we couldn't do for ourselves. Now, some of you, this makes you really uncomfortable because there is something in the human heart that says, we have to do something. Didn't we do something? I mean, didn't, didn't we, didn't we make, make a way for God to love us more? Didn't we earn our salvation just, just a little bit? I mean, wasn't it our choice? We can't even unpack all that mystery today. <laughs> but here's what we can say. In Christ, we are loved sinners. We are justified. God knew that we couldn't save ourselves, and so he saved us. In fact, any of that in us that feels like we've earned it, any of that that feels like we've tried to like make ourselves lovable to God, to make ourselves acceptable to God, that's called legalism. That's called when we are trying to create a righteous resume and say, God, here's my resume. You should hire me. And the scripture tells us that our righteousness, our righteous resume is filthy rags before a holy God. And so in this passage, remember, Paul is talking to Peter. He's not just talking to just generically. It's not the editorial we here. He's like, we, as in, he's talking to himself. He and, and, and Peter, like, we have been justified right through Christ. By what? This is the key pin, the key, the key lynch for what we can do and yet can only do by the grace of God, and that is by faith. By faith. So how are we justified? We were justified by faith in Jesus. Uh, Rose back here said believers in Jesus. Susie said something about believing and turning, you know, repenting from our old way to our new way in Christ. And so notice what, I want to just give you a couple of verses, and these would be great verses for you to memorize, these great verses to, to cling to. Some of them are actually alluded to in this definition of justification. Here's what it says in Romans 4, 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for what? Righteousness. So what is it? Believes on Jesus. Verse 17 from chapter 1 of Romans. I, don't, I think it says Revelation. It should say Romans. It's uh, this. For in it God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith just as it is written. I think some of you probably know this verse. The righteous will live by faith. That's right. Faith. So does that mean just mentally we say, I agree with that. Does it mean just that we, you know, we make a, 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 just a, a declaration of, hey, I, I, I agree with that, or I, I see that, or I understand that? 
Is that what faith is? The scripture speaks to faith as trust, right? And, and for those of you who um, have been around church for a while, there's a pretty good chance at some point somebody did the trust fall with you to try to teach you this, right? You know what I'm talking about, trust fall? And it's a great one to do with your kids because it's very practical and tangible. And that is simply like, you know, have them stand up on something or maybe even just on the floor and just tell them, okay, fall back. And the question is, is are we going to get caught or not? And you find out pretty fast that they trust you or not, right? And, 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 and it's in that moving, it's in that I'm going to fall back and trust that you're going to catch me. Um, that is an example, a, a practical, physical example of what it means to be faith. Because it's not just saying I believe it, it's actually acting on it. Susie, not long ago, you remember she talked about getting on an airplane and how that faith is about not just saying, oh, I, yeah, I, I believe people can fly, but getting in the airplane, right, and actually flying, actually getting on and trusting that crazy technology and engineering and that we just kind of are so, wow, like, you know, some, some, it's, just, it's just nonchalant towards anymore, right, that is amazing that it can get up off the ground and fly into the sky. So the point is this, is that what we have to do, if we are going to be justified before God, is to simply say, God, I trust you, and I want to live in a way to respond. And that faith, that act of faith, is all about repentance. It's all about turning from trusting self to turning to trusting God. And this is why Martin Luther, who I've already talked about a little bit here, said that all of life is repentance. The word metanoia, in scripture, one of our former staff members here, he has it actually tattooed in Greek on his arm because that's what you do when you're cool. This is metanoia. That all of life is repentance. All of life is about us turning from trusting self to turning God, to trusting God, right? By faith, we do that. So back to the, the text for just a minute this morning as we kind of wrap up our time together. What, how do we live this out? We're kind of already moving there. How do we live this out in our daily lives? I mean, Paul's addressing Peter because Peter's pulling back from eating with Gentiles over this issue. Somehow in himself, Peter has decided that part of his justification is following the Jewish customs and not eating with those Gentile sinners. By the way, did you notice that it's in quotes there in the text when we read it this morning from verse 15? The Gentile sinners. It's kind of like Paul saying, you know, you guys make fun of the Gentile sinners. He's like, but we're sinners. We're sinners. Sometimes we miss that stuff. <clears throat> and it says here in the passage that there's a way to live where we live under the confidence and the the being convinced that we are justified by faith, and there's a way to live where we're trying to rebuild the old system. That's what he says. He's going to rebuild the old, old system. What's the old system? The old system was the law. Anybody tried to rebuild the old system in your life, trying to earn your way to God by following the law? I have, and I can tell you it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. We're going to talk about why, but notice he says that we're Again, Paul has said to him to live in line with the gospel. To live in line with the gospel means that there's a way that we could not live in line with the gospel, that we could drift to the right or to the left. 
in Tertullian, I know we're trying to, we're going, you know, way back. One of the church fathers, Tertullian, he said this. He said, just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so this doctrine of justification is ever crucified between two opposite errors. So if that helps you remember, Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Tertullian said, this is a great way for us to remember that there are two errors that we can kind of drift into, walk away from the gospel in. And I don't think these are going to come as a surprise for those of you that have been with us very long. But I'll use some different language to keep it fresh. One of them is relativism, and one of them is moralism. We could say religion or irreligion. We could say self-righteousness, right? Or we could say indifference. But the bottom line is that we know that there's a way that we can tend to drift. And so if you want to think of it this way, one thief is indifference. Indifference. It's this relativistic view. Like, it doesn't really matter. God's really not, you know, he's all loving and all good, but there's no justice in him towards sin. And so we can not take sin seriously. We cannot take righteousness and, and, and change. That, like it's, it's like we say, well, God loves me so much, he doesn't really care about my behavior. No, he loves us so much that he does care about our behavior. He loves us so much that he does care about the things that will rob us of the joy in the life that he created us for. He cares so much about us. He loves us so much. He wants us to live for the reason we were created, which was for his glory and not for our own. Are you still with me? But relativism will get us into this drift. And when you believe that, here's what you believe. You may not think you believe this, but the love of God is cheapened. The grace of God is cheapened. What that means is that we don't understand that what sin does and what sin results in is ugly, it is destructive, right? It is damning. Like, if you don't have a right view of, of, of sin and your sinfulness in particular, it's not just that the problems are always out there, by the way. In your marriage, it's not just your spouse. In, in your life, it's not just your coworkers. It's not just your neighbors. It's not just everybody. It's not just that sin's out there. Sin's in here. And until we come to the understanding that sin is brutal, it is, it, is, it is destroying our relationship with God, then we'll, we'll see God's love is cheap because God's love against the backdrop of sin is really not a big deal. It isn't all that great. But when I understand the darkness, I understand the depth of the depravity. Uh, this, this week, I um, was my, my kids, we were up celebrating my wife's grandfather's 90th birthday, which is really awesome, by the way. It's incredible to get to see someone make it to 90 years, and he's still going strong. I think he was actually up on his roof putting uh, Christmas lights up this, this year at 90. I hope I'm like that. Um, but we watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy while we were there, or at least they watched all of it. I watched parts of it. I kind of drifted in and out. But the thing that always is amazing to me when I watch it, and I say amazing, it's sobering actually, is the way that Tolkien in his books, and then, of course, how it's conveyed on the screen, how he conveys darkness. Sauron, Saruman, I mean, it's, it's dark. It is, it is dark. It is such a reminder of evil and the destructive nature of evil. And for some of us, even in light of what's going on in the world right now with 
Guys like Putin. And he's just one bad leader. He's not even the only one, right? He's just the one right now that's in the spotlight. But, but the, the, the human heart, apart from the grace of God, is so depraved and so dark. And so what I'm saying to you in this, I kind of got, got caught down this path, but we need to understand the seriousness of sin or we will never appreciate the grace of God. We need to understand that when Scripture says, but God, that without that but God, we were damned forever, forever eternally separated from God, from the only thing that is really good and, and right and pure and holy. So one thief of our joy, one thief of our salvation, one thief of living in light of the good news, because that's what the gospel is, is it's good news, is to, to become relativistic, to just really think that sin's not a big deal, and we can live however we want to live. And that's dangerous. Even verse 17, <laughs> when you preach grace, you're going to find that some people think that this is what you're saying. In fact, I would argue that when you find the sweet spot of the gospel, people are going to accuse you of being too, too lenient at times. And other people are going to accuse you of being too legalistic at times. There's a tension in there, right? But in verse 17, he says, But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified in Christ, is Christ a promoter of sin? And Paul says, absolutely not. No, he does not promote sin. He died for sin. That's how serious it is. But the other thief is performance, moralism. Verse 18, I already alluded to it. He says, if I rebuild the system I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. If we're going to try to start earning our way to God again, we just need to go ahead and know that the moment we start to rebuild the law, it just condemns us. It, it's going to condemn us because that's what the law does. The law shows us how far short we fall of God's goodness and his glory, how unworthy we actually are of God's grace. And that's not a bad thing because we know the other side of the story, don't we? But when you try to rebuild the system, I said this, I think, in week one of this, this teaching series on Galatians, but um, Paul is really intense in this teaching on Galatians, He's in this letter. He is very intense, and, and he's, he basically goes straight. He doesn't even do much, uh, thank you for who you are, and I'm so glad for you, and I'm praying for you. He just is like, boom, the gospel. You guys have, are not living out the gospel. You've been confused. You've gotten distracted. You've actually started adding to these teachers have started adding to the gospel, and he is serious about that, and we should be serious about that. Because it's only in the good news of Christ and him crucified for our sin that we find real life. You see, if you decide to go to the, the side of moralism and legalism, I would even go far as to say religion, religiosity, maybe is a better way to say that, then you will live your life with self-condemnation or self-righteousness. You will live with an infor inferiority complex or a superiority complex. They come from the same place. It's focused on self. Are you still with me? Okay. And so, if you will, the gospel is a third way, and it leads us back to the reality that we are flawed and we are broken in our flesh beyond comprehension, but at the same time, because of Christ, we are forgiven completely. And it's beautiful. If you and I have lost sight of the grace of God, I pray that today God would, by his spirit, remind us again of what he has rescued us from.
Because Scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it also says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, a, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so in this passage, maybe one of the verses that is more popular, more common than the verse 16 we said, is the verse 19 through 20, where it says this, For through the law I have died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we simply say, it's kind of confusing because he's saying, I'm dead, but I'm alive. Anybody in here feel dead but alive? <laughs> That's what the gospel does. Is it says to us, we are dead in our flesh. We are dead in the water. We are dead to ourselves, but in Christ, we are alive. And that's incredible because we can't make ourselves alive. We can't make ourselves right with God. We can't justify ourselves, but he has done it for us. And in this passage, I used to read this passage just solely thinking about this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, like as it was just about the, the issue of license, like, you know, we just don't do bad things anymore. But you know what he's saying there? He said, I've died to trying to justify myself by the law. I've died to trying to earn my way to God. Because that was only possible in Christ. In fact, he clarifies it in verse 21 of this section because he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. What we are saying, when we try to earn our way by saying, I'm going to be a good enough Christian for God to love me, is we're saying, Christ, your sacrifice, eh, it's, it was okay. It was all right, but really, it's me. It's what I do. Now, that might sound harsh, but that's what we're saying. We're saying, Jesus, you're not enough. Your sacrifice, your work for us was not enough. So our incentive to live the Christian life is not fear, right? It's not fear. And it's not this attitude of I'm going to do my own thing in my own way and God's going to love me for it. It's not fear, but it's gratitude. It's gratitude. Moralists are not filled with gratitude. Relativists are not filled with gratitude. But you know who is filled with gratitude? Love sinners. Christians. True Christians that have been justified by grace through faith. So let me give some practical examples as we close out, okay? So in our daily lives, you know you're believing the gospel when, let's, let's consider conflict, confrontation. Anybody like confrontation or conflict? There are some of you in this room. Be honest. Some of you do. I've seen you. Some of you are like, oh, I'm going. There's probably a reason for that, but we'll talk about that later. Listen, when someone offends us, uh, the tendency is either to attack or to withdraw. That's the human nature. I'm going to either attack or I'm going to withdraw. In our house, we say you're either a powder or a shouter, right? In every marriage, there's powders and shouters. The person who kind of sulks, and the other person who's like, ah, I'm going to get you, you know. This is the nature of the human heart. But here's the deal. In Christ, when we understand that we are loved sinners, 
It's only then that we are humble enough that we can forgive someone who sins against us. And it's only when we believe we are love sinners that we are confident enough to speak truth to them and not live and die by what they think about us. This is, this is huge, guys. This is huge. I know you're like, okay. But I'm telling you, there's not enough how-to books and tips and tricks to help you deal with conflict in a way that will bring true and, and helpful resolution. The gospel gives us the solution, right? It enables us. It was brought up in the message a couple weeks ago. We forgive because why? We have been forgiven. We show mercy. Why? Because we've been shown mercy, right? We love because he first loved us. You see, everything in the Christian life is a response to what God has already done for us. So in conflict, we can actually engage because we know we are loved and we are forgiven, but we also know we're not without fault. Like Jesus said in his words, remove the what? The plank from your eye before you try to go after the splinter in your brothers or your spouses or your kids or your coworkers. Because we know we're sinners. And so we have a humility about that. But we also have a confidence and a boldness. What about suffering? Well, here's what I've learned. If we don't believe that we are loved sinners, we will either hate God or we will hate ourselves. We'll either hate God and say, God... You are not good, you are not loving me, and so I'm mad at you. Or you will hate yourself because it's like, I did something evil, terrible, bad, and now God doesn't love me. I haven't performed well, and so now I'm, I'm being condemned for that. But you know what the gospel says? The gospel says we are loved sinners and that God does love us, and we never have to question again because why? Because the cross states it once and for all for history. We know that we are loved. But we also know that we're sinners who live in a fallen world and that it's not surprising that we, we suffer because Jesus said that if you're going to follow me, what? You're going to suffer. And so we can actually embrace suffering and we can see God can bring good out of it because he brought good out of the cross. He brought good out of the greatest suffering that ever happened on planet earth, and that was Jesus Christ's sacrifice and suffering. I could go on and give you more. I was thinking about decision-making. Everybody's having to make decisions about life and where you live and where you work and all those kind of things. Listen, when you make decisions as a love sinner, you realize that you don't have the corner market on truth. You don't understand everything. and You don't even understand your own heart. And so it humbles you, and it says, I need to submit my plans to God and to a community of believers and to the Scripture, right? But you're confident because you know that the one who created you and who breathed the stars into existence has a plan for you, and it was planned before the foundations of the world were laid. Like, catch that. How different should Christians live? Because we don't have to freak out in fear. We're going to blow it or screw it up because our Father in heaven loves us, and he is for us, and the gospel declares that. But we also need to know we are fleshly. We still have this part of us that's warring against us, and the enemy is whispering in our ear, right? And we need to be aware and on guard and alert, and we need to be in community with others. Christians who live in isolation are doomed. You're doomed. Because you are living as if you got this. You're independent. You need God and you need his people. And you need his word. We need his people. And we need his word. And we need his spirit. So thankfully today, 
when God looks down in this room, if you're in Christ, you know what he sees? He sees Christ's righteousness on every one of you. <laughs> Praise God for that. I don't feel righteous, if I'm honest. Even the people in the moments where I'm trying to build my case for being righteous, and I think I'm doing pretty good, if I'm really honest and still before the Lord, I see, I see my, my sin, my ugliness. I'm just so thankful all over again that God said, while you were my enemy, I made you my son. Not because of what you did, but because I'm just that good and I love you. So receive it by faith. Put your trust in that. Lean into that. Fall back on that. Live in light of that truth. Let's pray. Father, as I look across this room, I'm very mindful that we got people from different walks of life and different places and stages, and, and some feel maybe more hope-filled today. Some feel pretty beat down by life today. Um, thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient in our weakness. And thank you, God, that if things are going well, it's because of your grace and your kindness and we know that it's not because we've earned it. It's not because we deserve it. We're not entitled to it. It's just purely because you are good. And so, Father, I pray you would humble us today. I pray that you would remind us that we are in this body warring as sinners. That sin still is a part of our reality. I mean, if Paul said he was the chief of sinners, because <laughs> first off, we... Who are we to say we're not? But, but secondly, we know that there is, there is this part of our human existence that we are still dealing with this body of sin, this flesh. But we thank you that it will not win if we are in Christ. And that as you look down from heaven, as you are even among us by your spirit, you are confirming that we are your children. And you are even gifting us fresh faith to believe that and to receive that today. I pray that for this space. I pray for every person in this room today, by your grace, that you would kill the performance nature in us. God, that you would, you would take some people in this room off of the treadmill of self-salvation today. God, that you would lift our heads and you would help us to see you as good and glorious and gracious and great and that we would not look at anything else that same way. God, we need you. We cannot save ourselves. But we thank you that you have saved us. And I pray that... It, <laughs> God, if there's anyone in this room, in this moment right now, that they're, they're aware that they've been living their life in the power of themselves, that today, God, that you would meet them and say that this would be a new day for them to find rest in you, to find hope in you to find the significance and the security and the satisfaction that only you can bring. I pray for that, Jesus. Father, um, even as we close out our time today, we just we pray that our hearts would be stirred for you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, we want to invite you to, to just um, worship.
in response to who God is and what he's done, that we would reflect on the reality of what Christ has declared about us. Um, it's also possible that there's things that are going on in your heart that are maybe not directly related or you don't see them as directly related to what's happening, uh, what we're talking about today, but you just need healing. Maybe you need physical healing. Maybe you need emotional healing, spiritual healing. Um, we just want to invite you. If you, if you need that, you would, you would pray with us. Pray for, for yourself for sure, but it's always powerful when you pray with others. And so some of our team will be available to pray. Not because we're super Christians or having to corner market on prayer, but because it's just powerful to have another human being that you're interacting with has a spirit of God in them is just praying for us and asking God to do the work. We don't do the work. God does the work, right? And so we want to invite that. I also would pray that if you're in a good space today, if this is like, man, I'm so glad that this is where I feel like I am, that you would be praying for others around you because we don't just come to church to receive but to give. So God may give you a word for someone in this room. God may be giving you a, a prayer to pray for somebody, a scripture to read to somebody. Now, don't move there too quick. Listen to what God wants to say to you first. But if God's speaking to you, then move and act. Go, and, go minister to, to people around us. We can do that in Christ. We have the work of the Spirit in us. And so we invite you to do that. But um, the prayer room is available. If you need to go over there and get a little quieter, get still. For the Lord, if you need that space, that's fine. Listen, we all need Jesus. We all need his help. And so I'm praying today that we would just turn to him in whatever ways we need to and respond with, with obedience, surrender, submission, because he's good and we can trust him, all right?